Welcome to the Physician Wellness Lounge hosted by Dr. Yashoda Baskar, who is board certified in internal medicine and a diplomat of the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine. She is also an ICF certified life transformation coach and a certified money coach. This podcast features physicians who discuss wellness and balance within and outside of medicine. It covers a wide range of topics around this theme with some wonderful advice and practical tips that you can start incorporating right away to improve the happiness quotient in your life. We hope you enjoy this episode and please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you listen to it. And now here's your host, Dr. Yashoda. Welcome to this episode of my podcast. Today, I'm so pleased to introduce Dr. Ross McKean all the way from the UK. Hi, Dr. McKean. Thank you for joining me today. Hello, Yashoda. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to have you on. I was really intrigued by the name of this company you've created called Medizom. But before we go there, I would love to have you first introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yes, with pleasure. Yeah, so I am a GP registrar in Cambridge in England. Uh, I've been in that role since August of last year, really enjoying this, this new venture. Uh, I've had different... Um, positions uh, within my eight-year span of being a doctor thus far, uh, from being a core medical trainee, which is kind of your preamble to becoming a medical registrar. I don't know if that's a title that's recognized in, in the US, but it's kind of the thing before being a consultant. Okay. And I realized that really wasn't a, a position that I really felt well aligned with actually resigned from that job in 2016 yes 2016 I ended up uh, locoming uh, within Glasgow in their acute medical wards for a year and then decided to go to New Zealand and that was a fantastic experience uh, working with ex-burned out doctors that really were quite inspired to find something else with medicine and what that could give you in return. Uh, and I worked there as a, a rehab doctor and a new, neurology registrar, and then came back to the UK. And so, yes, now since August, working as a GP registrar. Um, I think the, the reasons for deciding on starting this company really came from that experience of resigning and actually at the time a lot there was a lot of shame and a lot of guilt involved with yeah. that decision it didn't feel an empowering decision yeah. at the time and it didn't feel like a decision that was positive in any way mm. but actually looking back now and how my journey's changed and what it's led me to now um, I'm really grateful I had the confidence to decide that this isn't a journey I, I, I want to be on any longer. Uh, so that's a little bit of a nutshell of, of my experience yeah. so far. 
So, so you mentioned something interesting. Um, so you were, when you were in New Zealand, you said you had a chance to work with some, did you say ex-burned-out doctors? That kind of caught my attention. Yes. Uh -huh. yes. Tell me a little bit more about that situation. What were these people well, doing? Yeah, a lot of, there was a lot of doctors that moved from the UK to New Zealand off the back of a change in contracts to uh, our working hours and the level of autonomy we had on choosing where we worked within the UK, um, which meant, yeah, there was a sort of exodus of trainees going to New Zealand in 2016. Uh, so it's also a natural point people think of going to New Zealand after they've done their mandatory two first two years having been qualified so it's often at a time you're going there where people are feeling pretty tired uh, feeling a little resentful of what medicine has taken away from them mm. and so they're going there with a sense of adventure a sense of wanting to find themselves a little uh, my reasons were partly that partly the fact also that my a uh, partner, she was moving to New York to work as a product design engineer. And because of the, the difficulties in, in working as a doctor in the US, mm -hmm. um, I decided to have my own adventure, but somewhere else. Um, yeah, so that was my, my first kind of experience working with doctors that had a similar mindset to me that could kind of see the madness of the conveyor belt of medicine. Yes. Um, and when it's only when you, you kind of see it from the outside, you see how crazy it is to kind of right. have this very single-minded attitude to your career. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was wonderful to be around people that, you know, every weekend we'd be going uh, surfing or skiing or, and things like that it was it was a really wonderful experience and a really enriching and you realize working there that you didn't have to fit into a rigid box mm. of what someone told you a doctor should be like I could be myself going to work be humorous uh, still be respectful of colleagues but still uh, have a bit of banter with them and not feel have to be incredibly polite and say my please and thank yous um so it was uh, quite liberating in that way mm. fascinating so so tell us a little bit about maybe what are some factors that lead to burnout so i'm hearing that in the uk but then the culture of medicine in new zealand is different um can you maybe give us some idea of what are the factors that lead to maybe a higher rate of burnout in the UK versus New Zealand? I think it is, it's really a constellation of, of things. I think I like to try and split it into the, the individual failures, the uh, organizational failures and the cultural failures. Mm -hmm. I guess within the UK, there's a few cultural factors that are particularly apparent that would be um, the sort of institution that we're in in the UK it's very hierarchical mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of unconscious bias uh, there's a lack of diversity um, 
you see, I mean, there's uh, now at medical school, people applying this, it's about two thirds uh, are female. Mm -hmm. But by the time it gets to consultant level, it's about 12% for, for surgery, for example. Wow. That are, so it, it goes to show that somewhere along the way, we're, we're, we're certainly, we're uh, biased. Um, the one other major difference between New Zealand and the UK is the lack of transition from going from medical school into uh, your hospital as a qualified doctor. So in New Zealand, they have uh, their final year is basically they are they are a doctor. They get a salary. Um, but it's still in an academic guise. So they have a deeper appreciation on their first day of being a fully qualified doctor of what a working day is like. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the UK, the, uh, the induction period for a doctor once you've finished as a medical student is right. a couple of days. Mm. And so uh the learning curve is incredibly steep right. um coming from from medical school into to the hospital and then the sort of individual failures i guess that that lead to burnout are are kind of more universal so i think if you're not careful of what your your ideas are for becoming a doctor in the first place if they're entrenched in that it was the expectation that was placed on you by your family or your peers or your school mm -hmm. or if you're going into it for to fulfill some sort of um uh, you know if you're if you had dealt with an illness and felt like you needed to give something back mm -hmm. all these these kind of things i feel end up not being the, the right reasons for being a doctor. Mm. Um, if you can make sure that your reasons for being a doctor are because of a deep passion for um, relieving suffering, then you're, you're, you're going to be fine probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great points, absolutely. So mm. it is it is a multi-pronged approach and a, and a multi-pronged uh, reasons for for why physicians are getting tired of medicine or just feeling, you know, dissatisfied with it and looking to do other things, maybe. Um, so, so tell us about this idea that came about for your company, and uh, it, I, I just love the name. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. The name. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking that the the way that we sometimes tackle our careers is very passive and without much thought almost quite lifeless mm -hmm. almost like a zombie you know so we not only do we in the in this in the stages of medium to high degree burnout there's very little uh, thought mm -hmm. going on and little idea of choice in what you're doing as well um, right. or that you know that there is a there's a possible plan b and I think it was really realizing, looking back and realizing, wow, I, I've definitely been a medic zombie before. Um, that um, is something that I think it, it can feel to people that, that come to the website, they think, well, this is 
quite insulting. How dare you say I'm a medic zombie? But actually, when when I sort of say it's like a cluster of signs and symptoms, all that are, um, uh, you know, so this, the symptoms might be uh, pain affecting your thumb from constant scrolling, looking at your phone. Um, you might have a, a mild kyphosis from looking down at your phone, <laughs> right. a, a shuffling, shuffling Parkinsonian gait because, you, you know, um, yes. and they're like, oh, yeah, like, I get that, actually. I, I, I understand what you mean then. Mm. Um, and I think because a lot of the language around well-being in medicine can feel I don't know, quite airy-fairy. If someone's not uh, willing to consider the fact that they might be burning out, they, it's hard to engage with them. So I was th thinking of a way which would allow people to uh, consider the aspects of burnout with a metaphor, with imagery, mm -hmm. um, one big thing that I, I make a point of on, on Metazom is that not only the, the medic zombie, but this idea that you do have control of your path. Mm. And a thing that I, I use as an, an analogy was something that actually happened when I was going for a run uh, up in the Highlands uh, when I was uh, back from New Zealand and not really sure where I wanted to go next with my career. And I was running in a forest. Uh, I was going, I was sprinting. I had my headphones on listening to really loud music. And then towards the end of the run, I slowed down and I realised that I'd been stung by a lot of nettles. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I realised my idea where I'd been stung on that run. And I realized that actually that's exactly how I'd been living. It's how I'd been um, trying to get through my career by being in a constant fast pace in trying to deal with things and yeah. not ever slowing down to think of any nettle stings, any pain that might be coming ahead. Yeah. So I do try and encourage people to think about the fact that you know you can slow down and consider the the recurring nettle stings in your life and what you can do to ensure that your pace that you experience them in is a healthy one and one that you're not going to to suffer from by being in an unhealthy movement state yeah I love that I love the metaphor you know I think a lot of what you said earlier on um just my brought some thoughts to my mind, which is especially for professional careers like ours, there is a very, this sort of the stair-stepping process, right? Like you go to school and then you go to college and then you do this. And it's like the path is already laid out for you. We, we don't, you know, go to medical school, do your training, become an attending or a consultant. Um, but there's never any idea of like swaying from the path. You know, it's very rare that people go, you just go from one thing to another very automatically um, because mm -hmm. it's, it's already proscribed for you. But if you're at any, in anywhere in that stage, you're starting to feel like this is not what you expected, right? Like we have this expectation when we go to medical school that our life is going to be a certain way or when you become a registrar. 
and you go into the real world and it is not what what is expected but you're already on this path and it gets really hard to like jump off if you will right and even something like taking that year and going to New Zealand and seeing a different way of doing the same thing where you can be more free and yet practice medicine in a way that brings you joy Um, now how do you take those learnings and return to medicine and create your practice around those principles that you've created for yourself. So mm-hmm. what were some of the learnings that you've brought back and now are maybe incorporating in your life? Because the external circumstances are still the same, right? The UK healthcare system hasn't changed for you, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. sure. Um, yeah. So what, what has been the adjustment for you yourself and what do you advise other people who might be in that situation? Yeah. That's a really good question. And I think one big thing is actually being a bit more, or I hate saying the word, but spiritual. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I'm actually thinking about how I can be a bit more mindful at work. Mm. Uh, I think I, one thing is just trying to enjoy the moment and what I'm doing at the time. When before New Zealand I think I was always of the mindset of I'll be happy when I'll be happy when I finish this year when I've done this exam and actually just bringing it back to right, what can I enjoy right now and what can I take away from this experience so it's a lot of it's not thinking about the future so much and just focusing on the present for sure I think it's partly the the pain of working in the NHS has been partly softened by the fact that I'm on a a training programme, which is very nurturing. Uh, So GP training, you know, family doctor training, they're all, they are quite nurturing of their their juniors. So that's uh, a nice experience. But at the same time, I've just, as I was saying to you before starting the podcast, I was doing six months in the emergency department, which is a very frenetic, Mm -hmm. uh, stimulating environment. And I know that if I'd been in that environment before New Zealand, I really would have struggled with the, just the the sheer pace of it. Yes. Um, I think then being mindful of, right, am I getting enough sleep here? Am I eating enough? Am I going on my break? Okay, I've seen six patients in a row. I recognize that my brain is oversaturated right now. I just need to go for a walk. So it's actually, I think it's having a better um, way of analyzing my thoughts and feelings and and having that insight as to when I need to take the gas pedal off a little. I shouldn't say gas pedal, that's American, isn't it? But for your (laughs) listeners, same gas pedal. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then, and then just taking that time and at the end of the day, I like having a hot bath, having that ritual and thinking, right, what, what's kind of resting on my mind and not sitting well. And I'll kind of, you know, think on that for a bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it, it, it's that slowing down has been the biggest learning point. Yeah, I love that. It's um, sprinkling self-care throughout the day. Right? We think about yeah. self-care as waking up in the morning and maybe sitting on a meditation cushion for 10, 15 minutes if you can. And then you're like, go, go, go. And then you come home and maybe relax with a glass of wine. But it really is sprinkling it 
throughout the day in little bits and pieces, which requires a certain level of mindfulness, which requires a certain level of compassion for ourselves, you know, with, 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 mm-hmm. which requires a little bit of realizing that we are not superhuman. You know, at the end of the day, we inhabit a human body just like our patients do, and we should be caring for it. Like you said, sleep, exercise, rest, make sure you're eating something healthy and all of that, because it, the life you're leading is right now, right? It's not tomorrow. It's not yesterday. It is right now. And how do we keep um, uh, strengthening those neural pathways so that that becomes the automatic one rather than mm-hmm. the other one, which is going to lead down towards burnout. Yeah. So Ross, tell us a little bit more about Medizom. What is it exactly as a service that you offer? Who do you cater to? What do people get out of this, this program that you've created? Yeah. Well, it, it is very much a work in progress at the moment. I, I started the company two years ago. Um, most of the, the members of it are medical students. I, I offer teaching which is focused on the patient experience. So there's a number of pages which are primarily geared towards that because I, I worked as a clinical teaching fellow uh, at the University of Edinburgh um, and was quite disappointed to see that a lot of the medical students were unhappy about being on the wards they didn't feel like they were being supported enough and therefore by the end of the year spent a lot of the time in the libraries so I try and create resources that inspire you to want to be on the wards Mm. so you're hearing about illnesses from a patient's perspective I've got a simulated hospital um, with real life-like patient cases and you, you hear what their home situations like you uh, you understand the presenting complaint because you you see an animation of it um, before they come to the hospital and so on to kind of make you excited about oh yeah every patient that I see in the hospital does have a story to tell um, and it's that kind of trying to combine that wonderful marriage of those two lonely hearts you know the 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 patient that feels like they, no one has enough time for them mm-hmm. is the same kind of need that the, a medical student often has on the wards, like struggling to be to have uh, any attention uh, cast their way. So there's those pages. For for doctors, what I've been working on is um, listing the many many different specialties out there. Um, and creating contacts within those different specialties so that if there is an intern that's looking to perhaps be an ENT surgeon Mm -hmm. they can actually uh, hear about that specialty from a doctor that's not a medic zombie who's maybe an ENT doctor but also trains dogs in the you know in in another uh, with another hat on in their lives and things. as well as the non-specialty things. So what is working in New Zealand like? Well, you know, here's a contact for that. Mm-hmm. My eventual hope is that it will be a sort of mentoring scheme, mm-hmm. uh, almost like a matchmaking scheme for, for people. Because um, it might be different in America, but uh, the role of the mentor is kind of forgotten about. It's not really... Uh, part of the 
experience of being a, a trainee doctor or a foundation doctor to to have someone that's nurturing your career and making you see both um, sides of the coin. I don't think so, we have that here either, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. Oh, there you go. It's just kind of thrown in there yeah. and, you know, sink or swim kind of situation. I mean, they'll, they'll assign like a faculty member to be your, I forget the term, what they use. It's not mentor, but it's different, you know, because you still don't get that you still you can still be completely 100% open about what's going on right like if you're having family issues or kid issues that's not really the forum it's really more still focused on how are you doing on your rounds or you know how are you doing on your yeah. wards and it's very 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 one sided if you will um yeah but yeah, yeah I, I think that's where and you know we we talk, mentioned Adam before but it's as a coach it's there's such a valuable resource there that I think that people could tap into if we can get coaching into medical training earlier on definitely yeah 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 so I've got um, Dr Adam Harrison is one of the coaches that's featured on uh, Medizom there's six other coaches that you can you can hear their you know talk uh, read their bio and and things but yeah that is exactly the point because I kind of think back to when I resigned there was no one that I could, I felt I could turn to. And really all I wanted was just for a senior, like grab a coffee with a senior and just have a chin wag. If I had someone that could, was able to do that on a weekly basis, just for 15 minutes, yes, it probably wouldn't have ever have had to have got to such a low point. Because tracking it back, you know, I, it, for me, the candle kind of went out when uh, over the Chris, the festive season, I, ha- I was involved in a, uh, re- trying to resuscitate uh, a young patient mm-hmm. who had committed suicide on the wards. Mm. Uh, and it, I, it wasn't successful. Oh, gosh. And it was quite traumatic. Uh, but I didn't talk to anyone about it. I actually didn't actually feel that upset about it. And because I, I just kind of completely disengaged it really was burnout yeah I was and prior to that my portfolio was absolutely glowing you know I was really making sure that I was reflecting on every case and getting feedback from other people doing different learning modules so the time that it was actually brought to anyone's attention was at my final year portfolio review where my clinical supervisor asked what what on earth has happened where where's all your evidence of what you've been doing since Christmas time and that's when I came clean Mm. and said okay well that's I'm really sorry you didn't feel like you could talk to us how can we make sure that your next year Mm. is better and I thought you're not hearing me here I, I can't do and next year, I don't know how I'm going to get through the next week, let alone the next year. Yes. And it was only then doing uh, a night shift with a locum doctor a few weeks after that. He said, why don't you just resign? And it was such a weight off my shoulder yeah. to realize I had that ability. I could resign. I, I, this, this isn't you know, set in stone that I have yeah. to do this. Yeah. Um, 
so I think that's really what coaching provides. It provides you with the arsenal to to realize that there are there are many opportunities out there. Yes. Uh, and sometimes it's coaching. Sometimes actually you need to take a step back and think about therapy. And yes. I think it's all about reducing that stigma. You know, if, yes. of course, if you, you should get therapy in the same way you get physical therapy, if you're out of shape, it, you know, in, in your, with your, your body, if, you're, if, if your mindset and your thought process is out of whack, then get help. For sure. I mean, you bring up a really good point. You know, we, I, I don't know what the rates of suicide among physicians in, UK, in the UK is, but it is astounding here when you think about um, the rate of suicide among physicians compared to that in the rest of the population is much higher. Um, yeah. and, and that's that's what you're really touching upon is that sometimes um, you're in such a deep, sense of despair that you probably do need therapy first right like I think coaching mm -hmm. is where you can actually reach in and start pulling out answers but if you're in a point where you're just like I am so done I literally like I'm seeing no options but you know the desperate ones that's where definitely yeah. therapy comes in and I, I unfortunately because of the stigma attached to it to mental health issues so many more doctors who really should be seeking help end up not seeking help, you know? So it's this weird sort of um, the very people that we are, you know, we, we become the people we are trying to save and yet we can't save ourselves, which is just such a horrible, horrible thing to happen. Yes. And then, and then, you know, the rates of alcoholism and drug misuse in the, in our, in our, uh, with our employees is really high as well. Yes. And that's just, that's just complications of, of this burnout also. For um, sure. Yeah, it's a complication yeah. of the burnout happening, but not enough resources or not enough resources to acceptable, you know, that are that are culturally acceptable, right? Because even if you go and get therapy, it's kind of like you got to go do it underground and hope your colleagues don't hear about it. And this, yeah, this yeah, like yeah. you said, the stigma and this shame attached to it. And um you know, I'll tell you, even just in the few years that I've been, I'm seeing more and more people speaking out, though. Um, and this is really the point of this podcast is if somebody out there is at the at the deepest sense of despair and hear this one conversation between us, if that saved that one life, right? I mm -hmm. feel, Ross, like you and I have like accomplished something in this world because it is so yeah. important to talk about this and to shed light and let people know that it is not that uncommon it's not them it's not a failure on their part um you know it is the system the system is squeezing us at this point and so it is okay to ask for help in fact it's more than okay to have, ask for help yeah yeah and I, I i think as well it's 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 an unwillingness to um allow any dissatisfaction be voiced. I mean, I, I think actually looking back, the, the times where I felt challenged and down have have had more uh, of an influence on shaping my character for the better uh, than than the pleasurable moments have in some way. Uh, it's it's realizing it's a choice in how you deal with it. Uh, unfortunately for some, it just that becomes the, the end story unless they 
unless they rise above that complete unconsciousness yes. of of that pain um you know what though i think i think the pandemic in some ways has also helped reduce the stigma i i you know in in the emergency department even as part of our morning handovers they, they would have like a point where they'd say right at the end of your shift think of one thing that's happened that's went well what thing would you change check in on your colleagues mm. there's a lot more solidarity i think mm. that the pandemic's brought out um and everyone's a lot more vocal you know just watching the news and you're seeing icu consultants break down right. on tv in tears right. you know i think there people are more willing now to show their vulnerability mm. and the patients appreciate it our employees appreciate it um you know juniors seeing a consultant struggle and be open with their struggle is really empowering yes. um and and allows you to just feel normal it, this is this horrible thing you feel like you're this complete oddball for thinking that you're you're struggling but it's you're you're more strange if you you completely fly through it no no problems at all yes yeah wow it's such a great point it's like covid finally broke through that sort of that cultural weirdness around it you know everything is just fine kind of thing which it it's not and probably hasn't been for you know a long long time and for you know, it's funny because a lot of times we hold back from showing our vulnerability because it can appear as a sign of weakness, but we don't realize that vulnerability is actually a sign of strength, that it is okay. Yeah. People see yeah. that and it humanizes the human condition, right? At the end of the day, we're not some God up on a pedestal, you know, beaming down upon our patients and curing them. We're human. We have our human foibles. And you're right, you know, I'll tell you my most touching moments as a physician, as a hospitalist, is when I was able to open up and maybe share something from my life in an appropriate setting with my patient. You know, my, my dad died of a stroke um, at the age of 70, for mm. example. And I've shared that experience with so many patients and that just drew us closer. You know, they were like, wow, she's got a dad, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? Even that realization. Yeah, yeah uh -huh. exactly. So I love, yeah. I love that. So, so it sounds like maybe we can actually start developing some hope for the future um, with all of these, you know, advances. So, Ross, what are you hoping to see happen in the next few months to years around this whole idea of burnout in medicine? I think that it, it becomes uh, that the stigma is reduced even even further. That uh, we can. I think there's been a lot of things around helping people cope, but not helping people thrive. Mm -hmm. So I think the next step has to be, yes, we, we can recognize and package up when someone's been burnt out. Um, we're, if we were thinking about a disease process, we're, we're purely focused on the treatment of the, the end stage complication rather than thinking of, right, what's our preventative measure from letting anyone get to that stage in the first place. Right. And that's really focused around changing the organization and changing the culture slowly but surely. 
Yes. And I think if there's more advocates within the hospital setting and less burnt out, particularly at the top consultants mm -hmm. who have much more of a say in how they shape um, their the structure of their workforce and so on. Uh, I think the I think there's wonderful potentials for for good change. Yes, a lot of them are just the same kind of ideas recycled and in, in different yeah. forms every every so every couple of years or so. But uh, you know, I was speaking to a wellness coach who's been in in the realm of. Um, uh, helping medical doctors for the last 15 years and she's saying in the in the last two or three years she's a, a small fish in a big pond now there's so many people trying to to be that for for doctors mm -hmm. to to be a therapist or a coach so I think slowly but surely we are working towards a more resilient workforce mm -hmm. and more um uh, woke <laughs> workforce as well. Um, yeah, I love that. I, I think you're right. I'm definitely getting a sense that, you know, like you said, the first step is self-awareness. This is happening and then willing to speak up and then it's a cultural shift, right? It happens from the ground up um, and people are also realizing that they need to sort of take take charge, take matters into their own hands, if you will that large hospital systems, the NHS or anything is not, that is not the role, right? That is not their function. So expecting that some knight in shining armor is gonna come save us is, is just a waste of time. And how do you start yeah. creating these programs ground up like you've created and some, I know there's lots of wellness programs and stuff out there and you know, they have their pluses and minuses, but Again, it's the whole, it's the starting point for shifting the culture to saying it's okay to say that it's a tough job. What we do is tough and that we have human needs, not just physical, but mental and emotional and spiritual, as you said, and own mm -hmm. that and say, you know, as physicians, we work hard, we're resilient, we're smart, we're intelligent, we can figure this stuff out. So I love that. Well, this yeah. has been so much fun. Um, I was wondering before we close, if you would like to maybe leave some last words of hope and advice to those out there, maybe considering medicine as a career or they're in the midst of it. And some of what we've talked about resonates with them. What would you say to them? I think for, for anyone that's thinking of going into medicine or is in medical school, is, this is gonna sound completely wacky, but I would highly recommend that you, you become employed as a healthcare assistant within your own hospital. So, or a, what it might be called something different in the US, a nurse's assistant or nurse's aide. Yeah. I did that for six years between high school and halfway through medical school. And if that had a more profound experience on my ability to give out care than actually medical school ever did. You know, seeing people, the care is so tangible for those people. I'm kind of envious still of yeah. healthcare assistants. We're, we're often so far removed from feeling like we're caring for our patients because right. there's a couple of screens in the way. Um, so I think that's a really enriching and um, wonderful thing 
to to do and if you enjoy it uh, that's a clear sign that you're going to be a good doctor um, and it will also give you serious kudos with the with the nurses when you <laughs> when you help give out give out meals at meal times and are happy changing a, a patient's bed yes and you know I still get nurses that say in 20 years I've never seen a doctor help change a bed with me so <laughs> yes, I love that <laughs> yeah yeah beautiful so good and taking care of ourselves you know we really do need to to do that in whatever way reach out to colleagues if you feel like you're struggling or if you feel like somebody else is struggling just remembering that we're all in this together with a common purpose here and that it's okay it's okay to open up and seek help and whatever to survive not just survive like you said, or cope, but also to thrive at the end of the day, because it still is a beautiful profession. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a, a good um, quote by uh, the Irish playwright, George Bernard Shaw. Mm -hmm. He says, the joy in life is to be a force of fortune instead of a feverish little anxious clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world is not devoting itself to making you happy. I think that's a really good reminder to say that, you know, we should we should just be trying to instill joy and and, and love back into the world and not being self-pitying and martyring our condition in, in such a way, but actually feeling proactive rather than reactive to everything. And the first step is, as, as we say, to reach out. I love that. So beautifully said. Well, Dr. Mm. McKean, I think you do great work in the world. I, I think your patients are very fortunate to have you. And certainly the people who benefit from your company, Medizom, are very fortunate to have you and your work out in the world. So thank you so much for thank joining you. me today and um, giving us a little bit of your insight. And I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. Yes, likewise. A really interesting exploration of all things well-being yeah really great thank you for coming on thank you